listening to The Anthony Ferrella Show, presented by WDSR, or better known as Duquesne Student Radio, the number one rated college sports radio show at Duquesne University. Now, here's your host, Anthony S. Ferrella III. Well, I never thought I'd see the day where Steve Spurrier is back on the sideline coaching football, but not the football you and I are accustomed to watching every week. The new league, the Alliance of American Football, has been raising eyebrows all over the country, especially to those who are looking to expand the sport. Spurrier told the Buddy Martin Show that he's interested in knowing more about the new Pro Football League, which has drawn heavy speculation as to what he may do. Speaking of speculation, it has been thrown out there that Notre Dame and Alabama are looking to play one another in a home-and-home series in the near future. Now, how much substance there is to this is a whole other story, but if this does happen, it will expand college football to heights you and I never thought would be possible. Here to break it all down with us is Paul Feinbaum of ESPN and the SEC Network. Don't forget about his highly rated show on the SEC Network, The Paul Feinbaum Show, from 3 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday and on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to tweet us at AF underscore WDSR, and we'll feature your comments on the show if they're interesting enough. Also, don't forget to follow Paul, just at Feinbaum, on Twitter, and stay up to date with the King of the South. I caught up with Paul earlier today, and here's what he had to say. I'm thrilled to welcome in Paul Feinbaum of ESPN and the SEC Network. Also, he is the host of the Paul Feinbaum Show, which airs Monday through Friday from 3 to 7 p.m. on the SEC Network and ESPN Radio. Paul, you're on the Anthony Ferrella Show. What's up, buddy? How are you? Anthony, uh, I'm delighted. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. No problem at all, and you really have been one of our biggest guests of the year, and we're so happy to have you. Um, so I want to ask you about your outstanding career uh, in sports uh, a little bit early on, and then we'll get into some current sports talk. But um, I was reading up about you a little bit, and uh, I noticed you graduated, obviously, from Tennessee with a political science degree. How on earth did you end up on almost the opposite side of the spectrum in sports? Well, it's interesting. I, I, midway through my career in Knoxville, uh, I, I don't know, I was thinking about uh, going into maybe law or teaching and there was an ad in the school newspaper for a reporter, and I must admit, Anthony, I'd never done it before, and I was on the high school paper. So I went down there, and they gave me an assignment just to try me out. I'll try to keep this story fast, but it was some minor deal involving the airport and, 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 and shuttle services between the school. And I will tell you, about two days later, I, I, I was about to break, like, some major investigative scandal. Uh, I had uncovered some malfeasance. I put the story together, and the editors go, go, man, this guy actually is a pretty good reporter. I, I, I couldn't type. I mean, I was like, uh, we were still using typewriters at the time. I know that dates me a little bit. Um, but but I, I had a knack for I, I had never done it. Uh, they, they, they gave me a chance. I, I, I did some reporting that spring, and then uh, for the next fall, I ended up uh, being a sports writer for the next two years. And from there, uh, I, I never had enough time to change my major, uh, but I started taking a few scattered journalism classes uh getting out of school uh i had two offers i mean i was not exactly in demand i had an offer from the uh, bristol uh tennessee uh courier and the shreveport journal i chose shreveport um and i was there a year and ended up going to birmingham and spent most of my, my career there about midway through just to speed this story up 
I started dabbling in radio, and uh, that led to uh, a broader spectrum, which ultimately led to me coming to ESPN. That's a crazy turn of events, and really, uh, you don't see uh, every day a lot of people going from political science to sports because they really don't mix, uh, even though there is sometimes politics in sports. Uh, For a lot of our listeners out there, uh, Paul has over 250 national, regional, and area sports writing awards, uh, including this story that I was reading about, uh, the Antonio Langham story. Uh, I guess he was a University of Alabama football player who signed a contract with a sports agent while playing for the school, obviously, which led to an NCAA probation for the school. Paul, how much pressure were you under to either put this story out or not to put it out, or is it just a matter of doing your job? Because I know you had to have been facing some scrutiny there. Yeah, I mean, I learned that in college, uh, Anthony, that uh, to be good, uh, you just you cannot uh, allow uh, extraneous forces to influence you. And and I know this may sound uh, a little odd, but to, to be a great reporter, and I frankly think of all of the things I, I have done in my career, reporting was my best uh, attribute. I don't use it as much. I mean, although you are, you're always doing it um, when you're in, on radio or television. But, I mean, you, you almost have to have the, uh, the, the conscience of a serial killer. And I know that sounds crazy, but you just have to you know, be focused on what you're doing get to the story, do it as fairly as possible. Do you have to push the envelope? Sure. And you cannot be concerned about the consequences. Now, let me also say, uh, a lot of this time, uh, I was not married. I didn't have children. I ultimately did get married. But, you you know, the problem, I think, with society is that, you know, you have to start measuring, not a problem, but one of the realities, you you measure, is this worth it? Is it worth worth risking what I make and what I do? And I think a lot of people have to compromise. We all have to compromise. But back then, I didn't care. I, mean, I, I was uh, I was a bull in a china shop when it came to uh, reporting, and and and, and, I, and I also felt like I was changing the world. By the way, I was not. But uh, there's nothing wrong with thinking that uh, to be ideological. You wrote also another column that I was reading. Uh, it was a Christmas Eve column, actually, about a radio caller who in Iowa. Um, who was suffering from a terrible disease. And, and a lot of people that I've talked to in the industry uh, who have praised you a lot uh, have said that this was one of the most acclaimed stories of your career. Can you just talk about uh, what it was like to go through that and um, write and cover that story? Yeah, i tell you what happened. Um, once our, it really wasn't all that long ago, um, and I was still writing. I, I wrote up until a couple of years ago. My, my la- I wrote for newspapers, and uh, my last uh, writing assignment was for Sports Illustrated's uh, on, online site. And a guy called our show. We had gone national on Sirius XM uh, in addition to the regional network. And I couldn't understand him. And, you know, I mean, there's always a tendency to start laughing, thinking the guy's drunk. I mean, you know, we get a lot of calls from yeah. drunk fans. And I, he, you know, he hung up, and I, I quite frankly couldn't understand a word he said. Um, he called back, and I realized uh, through about after about the second call that he was uh, a name, a man, a young man from from uh, da, uh, from uh, Waterloo, Iowa, uh, named Robert Fisher. Uh, he was in his early 30s. He had uh, cerebral palsy, and he. Uh, he loved calling the show, and uh, at one, about, about a two or three weeks afterwards, you know, you could understand him if you if you trained your your, your ears and your your your, your 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 you really had to listen closely. Uh, he said, "Hey, why don't would you come out and see me?" And I flippantly said, uh, "Sure." <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was I supposed to say? No, I mean you're. 
1,800 miles away. Um, and then he called back a few weeks later and said, I thought you said you were going to come see me. I mean, even though he was 31, he still had some childlike tendencies. And it just so happened uh, there was a, a man in the studio that night who was a very prominent sports uh, medicine surgeon. Uh, he and his partner at the time were among them, the most famous in the country. And he looked at me during the break. He said, why don't, why don't we go out there? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got a plane. Uh, so we did. Um, and we went out to see him uh, one, one, one Friday. We took a couple of our callers with us. And uh, i tell you what, it was just one of the most meaningful and moving days of my career. And, and I ended up writing about that, of, uh, of how it was, it was, a, it was a really uh, weird year. So many things were going wrong. And I just thought in, 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 on, on Christmas Eve, while many people are scattered around going to shopping malls and getting last-minute gifts, uh, I was reflecting on our time with, with Robert. And he still calls to this day. And uh, it, it was just a, you know, it's hard to describe the feeling that I had and the people uh, that were with me uh, because we, we made this young man's, we thought we were making this young man's year, and, and it turned out, he was actually making ours. That's unbelievable, and I'm sure you were making his. Uh, he was probably really excited um, about that. Now, I want to switch to another story. I'm throwing all kinds of stories you've done over like a span of like 30 years at you, uh, so bear with me here. Um, but you found yourself at the center of one of the biggest college football stories and just college sports stories uh, in America in 2011. Uh, this was the poisoning of the famous trees on Toomer's Corner uh, at Auburn University. So for a lot of our listeners who don't know about it, can you expand on it? Because I think this also had to deal with somebody else who called into the show. Yeah, let me start by saying um, it, it, Auburn's a beautiful campus. And, and as you walk from the Auburn campus to the town square, I mean, it's one of those old southern cities where they have a drugstore where you get lemonade. And uh, I mean, it's just like out of 1955. Uh, they had these iconic tumors uh, trees, uh, these oak trees, I should say. It's on Tumors Corner. That's why they call it the Tumors Trees. And when Auburn wins a football game, the fans, literally thousands would, go, don't laugh, would go down to Tumors Corner and roll the trees with toilet paper. That was, that was the Auburn tradition. <laughs> um, and, and they were iconic and they were beloved. I mean, this was, you know, kids, you know, grew up going with their parents and then they took their kids and in uh this was a very controversial season cam newton was a quarterback at auburn in 2010 uh many people thought auburn uh had uh, bought him uh the accusations were made he ended up being cleared auburn uh won the national championship against oregon and a couple weeks later uh a guy called in our show uh he said his name was al from dadeville alabama turned out not to be his name and he was rambling about something uh, involving uh, Bear Bryant. Uh, he said, you know, when Bear Bryant died in uh, 1983, Auburn fans were on Tumor's Corners. I said, that's ridiculous. I was, I was here then. And we were arguing and arguing, and I finally did lost my cool with the guy. And he just got mad. And he said, yeah, I'll tell you what, you know what I did last weekend? I go, uh, what was that? He goes, I, I, I poisoned the two tumor's trees with uh, Spike 8040. And I said, uh, I said, is that against the law? I mean, I, I was not really paying attention to him, Anthony. Yeah. He said, you think I care? We're all damn tired. <laughs> he hung up, and I kind of laughed it off. Uh, and about a week later, we got a call from the Auburn police asking if they could get a copy of the tape. And normally you, you would not want to do that, but you know, they said that there perhaps had been a legitimate threat. 
We sent the tape. Didn't give it. A, didn't give it much thought. And then a week later, a friend of mine who works um, in Washington for uh, the Alabama senator Richard Shelby, he was the chairman of the uh, of the uh, I think it was the Homeland Security uh, subcommittee. He said, "I just want to give you a heads up that uh, the Senate is invested. The subcommittee is investigating whether." Um, somebody actually poisoned the water system in Auburn and that that's an act of terrorism. Anyway, within a day, the story broke. It was, it was national news. It turned out the guy's name was Harvey Updike. Uh, he was arrested and, uh, he was, and, and, and it became the, the, the most famous call, uh, in our show's history. And quite frankly, I think it's one of the most famous calls in, uh, in talk radio history because I mean, Auburn fans were devastated. I mean, they were, it was like a death that occurred, of a, of a of a major figure in Auburn history, Bo Jackson, Cam Newton, uh, whomever, and ultimately Harvey Updike uh, was arrested uh, and uh, ultimately and he was sentenced to uh, a couple of months in jail. I, I was able to visit him his last week in jail, but it, but it, anyway, it became one of these uh, iconic stories, and and I, you know. I, I just have this weird feeling, Anthony, that whenever I die, uh, the obit goes out over the wire. It's going to say Paul Feinbaum, comma, who took the most famous call in, in sports radio history. Because I, I really think it, uh, you know, I mean, it, it just was, it, and, and embarrassingly, I did not take it seriously. That's hysterical. Um, but you did mention you visited him in jail. Um, but I think I do remember reading this. Uh, he did end up calling back into the show, offering apology. Yeah. What was that like? Well, well not exactly. Um, <laughs> he uh, <laughs> so it, it took a while for this case to come to to, uh, to court. Uh, so about three months later, uh, I had, he, he he showed up at our studio one day, and then we negotiated uh, to get him on the air. So a couple of weeks later, he decided to come on the show and supposedly apologize. And, and I'm telling you, we announced it. I mean, everyone in the country was listening. What would this guy say? And he never apologized. At the end, I said, I said, now, Harvey, um, uh, really, uh, I, I thought you, I know you said you wanted to say something to the audience. So instead of apologizing to Auburn fans, he actually apologized to Alabama fans. He said, I'm sorry I brought any, uh, any embarrassment to Auburn, oh, boy. to Alabama fans. And I, and he said, I just got one more thing to say, Paul. Roll damn tide. And uh, it just it just agonized the Auburn fans even more. So ultimately, he did go to jail. I did go to see him, and uh, he's out of jail now. And 30, uh, ESPN ended up doing a uh, a thirty for thirty entitled "Roll Tide War Eagle," where he uh, our, our show was the voice of the uh, the documentary, and, and and he was interviewed. And if you've never seen this, you got to go back and just see how utterly bizarre this guy was. That was a great segue into my next question. By the way, uh, I wanted to talk about your significant role. Uh, in the making of the ESPN documentary Roll Tide War Eagle, and you were really the voice of the documentary, covering the conference for so many years, Paul. What did it mean to you to have the honor uh, to participate heavily in this? Well, it was really cool um, because, I mean, everyone knows how important the 30 for 30 uh, series is. And you know, at the time, I was not at ESPN. And I think uh, just showing the craziness of Alabama and Auburn uh, through our program uh, helped elevate me uh, to a really – interesting point and what happened in, in the aftermath of that uh, uh a, a young writer from new york called me one day and he said hey is there any chance uh i could come hang out with you and uh, he wanted to do a piece on me in the new yorker magazine so he ended up spending uh this is rare in journalism but he spent off and on six months coming to alabama traveling with me to games 
And that story came out uh, in December of 2012, which ended, which which led to. Uh, I mean, the next day I started getting calls from New York book uh, publishers, and I ended up doing a book uh, as a result, which uh, was quite an interesting uh, experience, uh, which led to my ESPN job, which I am currently uh, at right now. All right, we're going to cut to a break here. Paul Feinbaum of ESPN and the SEC Network still here with us, host of the Paul Feinbaum Show, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 p.m. on the SEC Network and ESPN Radio. When we get back, we're going to still, Paul's still going to be with us, obviously. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about this Notre Dame and Alabama potential matchup in the future of the Home and Home Series. Uh, I know Paul has a lot of nice things to say about Notre Dame there. Um, and then we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament and all the upsets uh, and everything like that. But uh, stay with us. We will be right back. Who would set a limit to the mind of man? Who would dare assert that we know all there is to be known? UPMC challenges those limits. Today at UPMC, we create the future and make life-changing medicine happen. At Duquesne University, something changes within you. Every change in your perspective can transform the way you see the world. See what happens when the hardest thing you've ever attempted becomes the biggest thing you've ever accomplished. When the lessons you've learned become the values that drive you. When the path you follow becomes the life you lead. This is where minds find compassion, hearts gain wisdom, and the spirit guides you every step of the way. Duquesne University. The leader, the best. While the Mercedes-Benz S-Class has sat at the pinnacle of automotive excellence for generations, we have never settled on past glory. That has always been our challenge and our mission, to continually innovate and push technologies forward to shape the future of every automobile to come. On each S-Class, there lies a simple badge and it serves as a timeless reminder and a constant call to never rest on laurels and to forever earn the star. This is the car the world looks to. This is the 2018 S-Class from Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. This season on baseball, Mike Trout heads to work. Clayton's mad, and he's throwing like it. Giancarlo doesn't care. He's busy contemplating the 600-foot home run. Mookie Betts, the man with the city of Boston resting on his shoulders. Over in Cleveland, Edwin's got big plans, and the boys from Queens are back together and hungry. This season, Cy Young is up for grabs. Jose's eyeing 400. And Bryce Harper's having visions of cold October ball. These boys know the feeling. And everyone else is chasing after it. Ain't that right, Tito? That's this season on baseball. Is the Southeastern Conference where you go away to college? Not exactly. 
Yes, we come from all corners, from all histories and experiences. And even though there are unique customs, new favorite foods, and new languages, the SEC is not really where you go away to college. It's where you come home. Because here, it just means more. All right, welcome back to the program. Paul Feinbaum of ESPN and the SEC Network still here with us. And now I wanted to get into some current sports talk happening in the country. Uh, and really the big story and a lot of speculation here. Uh, but Notre Dame and Alabama are now reportedly discussing uh, playing each other in a home-and-home series in the near future. Paul, how do you feel about uh, this potential matchup? Well, I think it would be really interesting. Uh, I've, I've covered some uh, Notre Dame-Alabama games in the past, and the first time I went to uh, South Bend many years ago, it was, it was you know it was just an incredible experience for me. Now, I got in trouble the other day, uh, Anthony. I was on a local show in Alabama, and they asked me about this, and I just said, well, I think it would be great for Alabama. It would be an easy win. Naturally, uh, some website picked that up, disseminated it all over the country, and I've been hearing from Notre Dame fans, including my producer, who's a Notre Dame fan ever since. And me. Um, that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, I've had kind of this uh, back and forth with Brian Kelly the last couple of years. I don't think he's a good coach. Um, I was surprised how well they played last year. But, but, but overall, I, I just think uh, Notre Dame can, uh, you know, can and should do better. I made that point a couple of times on ESPN, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, we've noticed, Paul, uh, especially us Notre Dame fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> so do you think Notre Dame uh, – we'll get one more Notre Dame question and we'll get out of that. Um, but do you think Notre Dame should get out of being um, an in- independent team uh, conference-wise, or do you think it's just right for them to stay that way? I think it's a mistake to remain independent because you you have to chase good schedules and, and Notre Dame does and, and quite frankly uh, I mean their schedule is brutal playing Southern Cal and Stanford and uh, the uh, normal I think this year they have I think they have Michigan or something yes. like that um, yeah I mean you know the, the, I always thought Notre Dame should have gotten in the eight, in the in the Big Ten uh, that train passed. Um, but now that they're invested in the ACC and everything but football, I mean, what's the big deal? They already play a couple of games a year. Uh, just, just bite the bullet and, and quit acting like you're better than everyone because Notre Dame is not better than everyone. If you go back 40 or 50 years, Notre Dame was the dominant name in college football, maybe even 25 or 30 years, but they are not anymore. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say they're irrelevant, but they're not as relevant as Ohio State. Or, or Alabama, or, or a number of other schools, and uh, this, this this superiority uh, complex that Notre Dame has just simply isn't justified. It, it goes for the university administration, and quite frankly, it goes for their fans. Yeah, you're right there. Uh, the tough academics have always been a thing at Notre Dame, but I think it's caught up to them at this point, uh, probably competing with Alabama, Georgia, all the big teams in the SEC, um, but so who do you think uh, this would benefit, this matchup? Uh, do you think it would benefit more Alabama or more Notre Dame, or do you think uh, it really just benefits college football in general? Yeah, I think the, uh, college football in general, but you know, it doesn't help Alabama that much. Uh, I mean, Alabama usually is going to, have, is going to play a good enough schedule where in, in the SEC where they'll get by. Now, last year, uh, Alabama played the number three team in the country in the opening game, and it ended up uh, – costing them a little bit because Florida State was a 500 team. So, I mean, you may get that outlier year that Notre Dame would help you a little bit, but uh, I think it helps Notre Dame a little bit more just because I think a win over Alabama could uh, could overcome uh, or maybe surpass a, a loss or two. 
By the way, though, what, what people need to figure out here is if this game isn't in the next three or four years, then Notre Dame may, may take advantage of playing Nick Saban's successor because I, I just do not believe Nick Saban will spend that much more time in Alabama. So Notre Dame, uh, they obviously have the 10th recruiting class, number 10 recruiting class in the country probably for this year. Uh, it's around 10. It's bounced from 9, 10, and 11. So they're pretty good. But like you said, they're not as relevant uh, as they once were, and they definitely aren't in the conversation um, at least to what you're saying with Ohio State and Alabama. I can disagree, but that's okay because I'm biased. Um, but anyways, I want to shift into something around here up in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know how much you've looked into this in the past day, but uh, the big buzz around town up here in Pittsburgh is this new hire uh, the University of Pittsburgh made, uh, Jeff Kappel, the former associate head coach at Duke uh, for the last several years. The reason I'm bringing this up is because you had some familiarity with the former coach, Kevin Stallings. Stallings obviously was the head coach. Uh, at Vanderbilt not too long ago and uh, had to play in the SEC. Um, were you a Kevin Stallings fan when he was at Vanderbilt? I feel like you weren't. <laughs> You're correct. Um, the day he left I, I, uh, for Pittsburgh, I said, and listen, I'm not one of these who does I told you so's because you make as many mistakes as you get things right. But I, I felt like it was a horrendous move because I know Kevin Stallings. He was a a mediocre coach at Vanderbilt. Uh, not only was he a mediocre coach, I mean, he, he had the personality of a snail. And the job <laughs> that he did at Pittsburgh, what was he there for two years? Um, yeah. Is possibly possibly the worst coaching job in the history of college football. It's possibly the worst coaching job in the history of college basketball. I mean, I, I don't know how you can be that bad. But Kevin Stallings managed to do that. So I give him credit. I mean, if you're going to... Uh, if, if you're going to be relevant in the world, at least excel at something. And he excelled <laughs> at being a complete stooge of a, of a basketball coach. And uh, I, he got what he deserved. Uh, he's, he's an arrogant jerk. Uh, he shouldn't coach anymore because he can't coach. And uh, you know, Jeff Kippel is a, is a good coach. Uh, he was not successful at Oklahoma. Uh, many thought he was the heir apparent at Duke. Uh, I'm not sure uh, – you know what his mindset was. Shashevsky uh, must have said, "Listen, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to coach for a few more years," because I think he would have gotten that job had he held on. What people I think outside of Pittsburgh uh, don't realize is what a great job that is. I mean, uh, you know, Ben Howland, uh, Jamie Dixon. I mean, this this at one time was one of the dominant basketball programs around, and Kevin Stallings in two years managed to destroy all that. Yeah, and I think I have a little bit of a reasoning why he was uh, one of the worst coaches that you're saying uh, in college basketball uh, probably for a very long time, and that's because they brought in like 11 freshmen uh, this year that weren't freshmen that were capable to play in the ACC. These are freshmen that are playing in like uh, mid-major schools, so that's clearly why they got blown out of the water uh, and did not win a conference game. Why do you think Pitt would hire this new guy to take the reins um, over maybe a Rick Pitino, uh, who has definitely had some questionable things go on, especially at Louisville. And then maybe Tom Crean. Obviously, we saw Tom Crean go to Georgia. Uh, but why do you think Pittsburgh would maybe make this hire? Because here uh, in town, everyone is making it seem like uh, this is the home run hire uh, for this team. Well, you know, first of all, never believe the media when they when they say something's a home run hire. Uh, it's 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 very lazy and uh, and I think uh, intellectually dishonest. It's just, uh, I mean, this guy does not have a track record as a head coach. Uh, he does have a track record as, as an assistant. So you you have to make, you have to make your own judgment there. 
Uh, well, I take it back. I think he had. Uh, I think he did well before he got to Oklahoma. But uh, in, in in terms of uh, why not Patino? Patino is a great coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. I don't think he's hireable at the moment. I think I think there's just so much uh, toxicity uh, connected to him. Uh, there's so many unanswered questions that uh, it would uh, it would have taken a a, a a very gutsy AD to make that call. Would it, would he be good? Yeah. I mean, Rick Pitino has proven that time and time again. But I, I just think the stench surrounding Pitino is 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 almost unbearable for any university president or AD to, to sit next to him at a press conference to introduce him. Yeah, that's a tough call there. Paul Feinbaum of the ESPN and SEC Network here with us, uh, also the host of the Paul Feinbaum Show. Uh, Paul, I want to talk about the NCAA tournament and a little bit of your reaction. Obviously, this year we saw uh, eight teams from the SEC make it. Uh, the previous record was six a few years back. Um, but I want to talk about all of the upsets, uh, including some of the teams in the SEC who who were upset. Um, do you think the ups- upsets are good um, for the college basketball game? And do you think that the uh, committee that makes decisions on seeding and everything like that um, wants to see that? Well, I mean, I think the committee tries to to seed the best possible tournament. I talked to the committee chairman a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, their answers are always predictable, but I mean, they they do the best they can. Uh, I don't think you can predict what happens. Uh, it, it is that the, the the upsets make this the most exciting tournament going. Uh, it is a little bit like playing Russian roulette. Though. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason why teams lose uh, the way they do. You know, of all the upsets in the tournament, uh, I mean, certainly the Virginia loss, it was hard to explain, although, you know, they lost their, their sixth man, and uh, you, you could see the wheels coming off. Arizona's loss was was incomprehensible. But but quite frankly, uh, the one that perhaps stunned me even more uh, as we made it into the second weekend was Kentucky. I mean, there, there was just no reason why Kentucky lost to Kansas State. And Kansas State is, is, a, is an average team uh, that, that – did not beat anyone along the way uh, in the tournament. You know, is Loyola is Loyola good for for the game? Yeah, I mean, people are excited by it. Uh, I mean, you still have the two blue bloods. Uh, and the, another another thing I don't like about this tournament, uh, even though it's exciting to watch, is why don't why don't why don't you reseed it when you get to the final four? I mean, there's no reason why Kansas should play Villanova in the semifinals. That is a national championship game. Uh, so you know, reseed it, reseed it. Have have Villanova play Loyola, uh, have Michigan play Kansas, and uh, the winners meet. But but I I, I like Villanova from the very beginning uh, in this tournament, and I, I still like Villanova. Do you think that this is going to be the last year uh, of the tournament being normal? And what I mean by that is uh, all of these FBI investigations are really maybe the only main FBI investigation. Obviously, obviously we saw with Sean Miller, uh, but apparently it claims to have evidence on a lot of other coaches. Um, in colleges, pa- uh, paying players and recruits. Uh, what is your thoughts uh, about um, what what might happen next year? And is this March Madness going to be the same, or do you think it's going to be completely blown up and changed? I think March Madness will always be the same, and I, 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 for this reason, uh, I do think this investigation is going to wipe out countless coaches. That's that's what the, the authors of the story have have it predicted, and, and I believe them. They're really good reporters. But but I also don't think fans care very much. Uh, I, I at one time was an investigative reporter, and fans always talk about, well, you know, we want our programs to do the right thing. I, I don't think fans really care. I think fans flip on the TV, they go to a sports bar, they go to the, they go to the game, and 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 it's entertainment for them. Uh, it, it's you know, you've heard this line a million times. 
people uh, people like to eat sausage for breakfast, but they don't want to go to the uh, the meatpacking place yep. and, and see how it's made. Um, that's the same way with intercollegiate athletics. I mean, there, there are a lot of dirty, uh, unsavory things that go on in basketball and football and, quite frankly, everywhere across the board. But, but live events matter. Uh, I work for a television network. Uh, you put a game on uh, that's compelling – and people will watch, and, they, and, they, and nobody's going to, you know, walk away from the bar. Let's say Arizona's playing, go, I, I can't watch this team because uh, they're under investigation. Uh, and on top of all that, the NCAA is an, an apt organization. The only thing they can do well are cash checks paid to them by by ESPN, by CBS, and by Turner for the NCAA tournament. ESPN is not part of the tournament; the other two are, and and, and they they have no interest in, in legislating. Uh, the enforcement aspect of it. Yeah, they're great to tell you that you can't transfer uh, or have to sit out a year if your coach leaves, which is totally ridiculous, by the way. Um, they're good at that, but, but they, they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the, the – nor, nor do they have the desire or the will to actually investigate programs properly. What's your take on schools paying athletes? Uh, do you think that they should, they should consider it um, or that they should stay away from it because it might be uh, obviously a bad look. Well, I don't have a problem with it as long as it's 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 equal. Um, you know, Mark Emmert, the chair, the president of the NCAA, has said that it will never happen, but it, but it does happen. Uh, I mean, you can play. Uh, I mean, you can you can go back and forth between the Olympics and intercollegiate athletics, and the Olympics are are. I mean, some players make money. I don't don't. I mean, they may it may be. Uh, surreptitiously but but they they still get paid and i don't i mean listen i don't, I don't think uh, you should pay these guys you know large sums of money but but you know i was a college student once i i, mean, I didn't have any money i mean there's nothing wrong with uh you know making it equitable that that uh you can you can you, you have enough money to get by and, and also the, the whole likeness uh, controversy uh with the supreme court and ed oban and i mean uh Players should be able to uh, profit, maybe not during their their time at college, but later on uh, to be put in a trust fund or or an escrow. So, I mean, it's just a sham uh, when you hear NCAA administrators talk. I mean, they they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They know what's going on. And, and, you know, college basketball is is unsavory. College football is not to the degree of college basketball, but it's getting close. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the if they were going to pay the players that it would have to be uh, under some equal process. How do you think that these teams would go about it? Would it be the five starters uh, that get the most money on a team? Or how, how do you think they could divvy up the money? Because that seems like a complicated issue. No, you, you can't, you, it has to be uh, everyone on the team has to get the same amount. The, the issue is not so much uh, the best players on a team. It's, it's the fact that, and you know, here we go again with, with uh, Title IX and everything else, but which is great. But, uh, I, I mean, you can't pay a football player uh, and not pay the lacrosse player. So, I mean, that's when it gets complicated. And, uh, you know, I know in the South a lot of, uh, you know, schools do not play uh, as many sports as, as, as many in the North do. So it, it may be more expensive, let's say, for Ohio State or Penn State than it would be for Alabama or Auburn because uh, they don't have as many – they don't field as many teams. But – at the end of the conversation, these schools make so much money. I mean, I work for a network, uh, a conference uh, network, that I've seen reports that schools are making between 30 and $50 million a year from. So you tell me, you're a college student, you see it firsthand, maybe not where you go to school, but you see it across, across, across the city or across the state, 
I mean, these are multi-million uh, uh, dollar operations, uh, I mean, getting close to multi-billion dollar, and they can afford to pay their athletes a stipend uh, more than they're paying now and enough to so they can get by and don't have their handout just to uh, be able to you know go out on Saturday night for dinner. Something that's been circulating around is this Steve Spurrier talk, and we mentioned this early on in the show uh, in our monologue. Uh, we actually started off uh, started off with it, um, and this he's thinking about a potential return to football, but not the football uh, you and I are accustomed to watching. Apparently, uh, reports he said on the Buddy Martin show that uh, he is drawing interest to some type of professional football, uh, this new alliance of American Football League, uh, whatever that is. What else can you add new um, or say about this? Well, I think he is, um, but but I'll also tell you this: uh, I've covered uh, a number of spring football leagues, and by and large, they they are they are built to fail. They're not compelling. Uh, you may you may like it, other people may, but I don't watch arena football. Um, it's you know, there's a reason why uh, we watch football in the fall uh, because we're ready for it. Uh, in the spring. Uh, and I've been to spring football games where there are 50 or 60,000 people. It's just not the right time of the year. And, and, and some of the leagues I covered had major players, uh, had, had big-time contracts. This will not. This, this is a, a minor league uh, where the Johnny Manziels of the world will go if they can't get a job anywhere else. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, I find it somewhat embarrassing that a Hall of Fame coach like Steve Spurrier would waste time with something like this. Speaking of football, who do you like to win uh, the SEC this year? Uh, maybe just the conference, and then who do you think? Obviously, probably it'll either be Georgia or Alabama in the national championship game, or at least a lot of people are talking about. But uh, what teams do you think could be scary good, especially coming out of the SEC? Well, I, I think it, 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 you would be foolish not to go with Alabama. I mean, the the, the the precedent is there. I think Georgia may be a hair uh, worse than last year. Uh, I mean, they, they lost in all. I mean, just just watch the draft in a few weeks, and, and you'll see uh, Roquan Smith. You'll see uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle yep. Sony Michelle, and and Chubb. I mean, they they just had so many great players who had been there a long time. Uh, I think Ohio State is going to be great this year. Uh, I mean, they're, they're up there every year, but I think they'll be a little bit better. Uh, I think Clemson is just in that same category now as Alabama. You know, and I think after that, you know, will it be Miami? Uh, will they continue? Uh, will Southern Cal uh, make a run? Is it Washington? Uh, is it someone uh, that we really haven't uh, thought about? Uh, and you know, I mean, college football is fairly predictable, but uh, there usually is an outlier. Last year, I thought like Notre Dame. I didn't see that one coming. I mean, until the uh, Final two or three weeks of the season, Notre Dame was a major contender. One final thing, actually quite fun, Paul. I know you got to run, uh, but you and Laura um, have had quite the personalities with one another during the show. And I know you laugh uh, because of how much you guys respect one another and work with each other all the time. Uh, but is there anything that you want to say to her uh, that she will really only get that's funny? Because she's going to come on in a few weeks. Uh, we're, tr we're just trying to work some things out. Um, but we'll play it when she comes on. Uh, but do you have anything to say to her, anything uh, that we can play when she comes on in a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, uh, I, I don't normally duck a question, um, but if I told the truth about Laura Rutledge, I mean, she, she wouldn't have a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, let me say this about her, okay? Um, I didn't, uh, the first time she was on our show, 
I didn't know who she was. Um, my producer, John Hayes, who, by the way, is a Penn State grad, and he's from Philly, uh, you know, pushed her. He said, you got you to have her on. And I, I just like, okay, great. I, you, know, and, you know, she rambled on. I did not listen to a word she said. And, and then we did another show, and I started thinking, I mean, this, I really like her. She's got the – she's not your, your prototypical beauty queen. By the way, I say that because she won Miss Florida. Yeah. It was in the Miss America contest. And as we got to know each other, uh, I found her just to be uh, absolutely charming. Um, I mean, we are something like uh, 32 years uh, uh, in age apart, which is a you know bizarre uh, you know distance you know for for two people. But but she is uh, you know she's just a, just she's just so adaptable and so smart and. Every time I say this, she gets mad. But I mean, I I I, I say to her, um, you know, two or three years from now, I'm going to be in New York, uh, you know, you know, seeing shows and looking up at the skyscrapers like a typical tourist, and I'm going to bump into you on Fifth Avenue, and uh, I'm going to say, Hey, Laura, uh, remember me? I'm Paul Feinbaum, <laughs> and she's going to like turn her she's going to turn her nose up and walk away. She goes back to uh, NBC to host the Today Show. Um, she will be a megastar. She's well on her way, and uh, it's been one of the uh, – I know I'm, I'm rambling on here, but it's been one of the true uh, honors and joys of my career to uh, to work with her. From what it seems like, uh, it's an absolute blast. Um, and with that, I know you got to run. We're going to wrap the show up, Paul. Um, thanks a ton for making time to come on today, and we'll definitely look to get you back on uh, probably right before college football season ramps up again. Listen, I had a blast, and uh, any time, I really, uh, I really uh, admire the way you you handle this uh, interview. You're you're you're, uh, you're another one. Uh, it may be a couple more years. Uh, it may be two or three years beyond Laura, but I will run into you one day, and uh, you will be at the major networks as well. Fantastic job. Thank you. You'll never be too important for me, Paul. I'll always remember what you did, and I really appreciate <laughs> it. You you remember that. Um, but anyways, now I will leave you with the quote of the day, and in honor of opening day this week in Major League Baseball. Uh, here are the wise words of Bob Feller. Uh, Every day is a new opportunity. You can build yesterday's success or put its failures behind and start over again. Uh, that's the way life is with a new game every day. That's the way baseball is. See you next week. Thanks for listening. You can catch us live Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Central Time at our streaming link. If you miss a show, don't worry. We've got you covered. Head over to soundcloud.com forward slash anthforella. Or search for us on Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode of the show. Don't forget us on Twitter at AF underscore WDSR.